Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast, where we react every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm the bad boy of X-Men podcasting, Zach Jenkins. Hi, Adam. How are you? Hi, sugar. Sugar. Like the System of the Doubt song. <laughs> we have done a rogue episode within recent memory, but this have one's we? a, this is a much... Did, have we? Oh, yeah. Remember all those early rogue stuff where she fought Dazzler and. Oh, we did. Yeah, we absolutely did. Um, That's right. We we have not talked about any of the rogue solo stuff besides the Waringo one. That's true. That's true. And we we won't. We continue. We continue to not talk about the time that she got Sunfire powers. (laughs) What power about rogues actual mom? And her secret family, you know about that one, right? Yes. Yep. Oh boy. What about Rogue Volume Two? A uh, retelling of her origin that does not make any sense and does use X Men Evolution Rogue design on the cover. Wild. It's okay. We can we can pick what we want to pick to cover on this show as long as it's not what the listeners picked. Zach, what did the listeners pick this week? Uh, well, listener Snicked and Thwips, great, which I don't think is their Christian name. Hmm. That'd be awesome if that was on the birth certificate. I mean, that's what if the last name is Thwips and like first name is Snicked and Snicked. middle initial is just N. That'd be pretty I rad. Mean, like Snick Nicholas Thwips is going to have a hard time <laughs> getting some things through like a like a screening for their uh, for their job. Yeah, a lot of I think that's... people at the passport office for Snicked and Thwips. Uh, they wanted us to talk about Uncanny X-Men 171, and we're happy to oblige on yes. that. Snicked and Thwips did the right thing and went over to patreon.com slash battle of the atom, reached deep down into their hearts and pocketbooks, tossed a couple of coins into our coffers. It's five bucks. Y'all, comics are expensive now. Just buy buy one comic, and that comic being the hour of me and Adam speaking at you. You get episodes yeah. early, too. Mm-hmm. Get that get um, that early boat of boy uh, action in your weekend uh inbox you know don't you, you want really need in your life don't you want that boda boost before everyone else does <laughs> you know people are going to walk up to you and say you know i've noticed something different about you and that's going <laughs> to be your opportunity to share your conversion experience with them oh about God. how you became an early boda boy <laughs> or girl or non-binary person yeah, like we're, of, we're 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 inclusive pal. here, but right. it's just we're both inclusive and love alliteration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To start off, we're going to talk about this uh, issue that is an interesting one because it is from the from the ashes trade paperback that I think a lot of people know very very well. But even though it is smack dab in the middle of the Paul Smith era, it is not drawn by Paul Smith. It is drawn by one Mr. Walt Simonson. You know, they don't make fill-ins like they used to. <laughs> they don't make fill-ins like they used to. Would you consider this a fill-in? I would I would consider going between two Paul Smith classics 
to a Walt Simonson issue just kind of in the middle of this. Yeah, yeah. I'd call it kind of a fill-in from an artist standpoint. Yeah, um, but this is... Oh, no, it's, it's, it's legendary artist <laughs> and writer Walt Simonson. Yeah, with Bob Wyacek on inks. I mean, uh, not bad, right? You know, Glennis is doing studio. the colors, Claremont's writing it. Y'all know that part. Wheezy, Wheezy's editing this one. Uh, yes, uh, she is Louise Jones uh, at this point in her career. And uh, folks, if you have not checked out Jean Grey number one, let me tell you, Louise Simonson still got it. Let me tell hey, you. Hey, it's wild, actually. Hold on. Let's pause this. It's bizarre to me because we've seen a lot of creators who have a little bit of rust on them come uh-huh. back and do the weird nostalgia minis that Marvel keeps not selling. And I feel like what Louise Simonson's doing is saying, hey, look, do you want me to write all of my old stuff? I could write my old stuff. I did those New Mutants and X-Factor tie and things. Or, mm-hmm. or you could hire me to write something that like is good and in very interesting case study on Jean Grey, and I have no idea how the Jean Grey fans are taking it. Not the not the normal no, ones. I'm like talking it. about the Jean they Grey like fans. No, they like it. Yeah. Do they? Because it. Jean Grey is messy in it. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll come back to that later. But um Will we? this is I not... think that's the last we're gonna talk about the Jean Grey series. It's pretty good. Well, I'm gonna hype something up later, but um we've got oh. okay. uh Uncanny 171 here, which starts with Storm having, you know, uh, taken over charge of the Morlocks and is really having a crisis of faith about where, what her status is. You know, is she an X-Man? Is she, you know, this Morlock queen? Who Who is Storm? Um, so we're having some identity issues there. What is this? Every Storm comic between 1991 and, hold on. When was when was Al Ewing? When did Al Ewing take over Storm? It's going twenty twenty one. Yeah, probably twenty one. Yeah, tell me I'm wrong. No, tell me true. I'm wrong. Storm always figuring herself out. Um, we get some great Maddie and Scott stuff happening here, where Scott is realizing that um, Maddie's plane crash is the same day that Jean Grey was killed on the moon, uh, Listen, which is fun. I know, I know that Claremont's intention was not the medley crot prior was a clone of gene but also he's laying it on a little thick <laughs> yes if he didn't mean for us to think it he sure is trying uh, pretty hard not to, it's, to convince it's hard it's hard not to look at this and not saying that cyclops is right in this particular situation because he's been proven to be well actually history has proven him to be oddly right which mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. he's not supposed to be right in this but also it's like I can see why Scott Summers is having a hard time accepting that this identical redhead is, uh, how do you say, not the reincarnation of someone who was named Phoenix. (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, Now, despite a slight detour into a follow up on uh, the magic miniseries, which involves a danger room scenario with Belasco, the rest of this issue is all about Rogue who has been a villain to the X-Men and to Dazzler in the past, basically showing up at the front door saying, hey, my powers are out of control. Can I join the team? Can you help me? And uh, the X-Men, not super happy about this, especially because Professor X is 
totally fine with it. Professor X is completely and utterly cool with this. Yeah. And it's interesting in my mind because the X-Men do have a long history of like hanging out with bad guys and having them turn and join their team. You Mm -hmm. see them continuing to try this. And it really is something that Xavier is like a big believer of. No, we can rehabilitate these people. We can help them out. He keeps trying it, failing sometimes. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. prob- he probably shouldn't have had to. He probably shouldn't have tried to rehabilitate Mr. Sinister on his weird sex island. <laughs> I think, Charles, that was a mistake. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, Sin- Sabretooth in the 90s. But the Sabretooth you know, the first- thing. With- yeah. But the Shouldn't first example that he gives here is a good one, which is, hey, we we figured out Wolverine out and you sort of did. You know what I mean? Like he's a, Wolverine he's a was just like a jerk. He wasn't evil. <laughs> he was a, he was like a Canadian assassin. But you you made him a team player. But he is still a killer. Like, I don't think we really fixed him, quote unquote. But anyway, they fixed binary, his too. Yeah, um, Rogue is feeling lots of guilt about what happened with Carol Danvers. So who shows up but binary Carol Danvers, who punches Rogue into space. Okay, listen. <laughs> that page turn, Walt, is on another level. Because Can we just talked about the art there for a second. Like, Rogue's chin is as close to the bleed line as it can possibly get without getting chopped off by the printer. She is popping out of that panel so hard. It, and it's it's a page turn. You don't, you don't see the punch. That's the no. beauty of it. Simonson shows you that, oh no, Carol is walking into a room with Rogue, who is a teenager, <laughs> and saying, oh, on sight. It is on sight. Punches her into the stratosphere. Carol now has binary powers, which are great. So they get, they do a little bit of a fight, and then Charles is like, hold up. She's my, f- we're going to take care of her. Carol, reasonably, understand reasonably. says cool don't want to hang out with you guys anymore it's been a fun little bit but i am not doing that i'm I'm getting out of here i think carol is making some valid points no kidding that charles was letting carol live at his house and then he was like hey here's this person that caused you all of this trauma that's the reason why you're living in this house i'm going to take care of her too at the same time that's one of those you have a conversation first <laughs> you don't his that on somebody. Defense, Rogue did surprise them, and he did not know that Binary was coming back. Um, but the one character who decision real quick, yeah, yeah. But you know, he's he's going off of his principles, and a, another person sort of still debating her principles at the end of the story is again Storm. Storm is saying, "Well, I'm not quite sure I can forgive this person who tried to kill me at the Pentagon," uh, and you know, I got to take a walk. So, um, you know, she's just trying to figure everything out. Um, this issue is interesting because it is, I hope you survive the experience cover, right? Which is a a trope in X-Men and it is squeezed between like two all time classic Paul Smith things that rank very high on our big old list. So I'm interested to see where this lands. So 
you mentioned our big old list, and thank you, in fact, Adam, thank you for bringing up said big old list because it is big, it is old, and it is a list. Those are <laughs> those are three of its defining qualities. That's true. Now, yeah. The thing about this big old list is that we are ranking every X Men story from best to worst on there. We have eight hundred and ten stories on this list right now, uh, with the first best story being the house of x the powers of 10 the hundredth being wolverine the shiva scenario the 200th being x termination the one with an e at the front not an x at the front the 300th being cable 64 twas the night before dying the 400th being the age of x aftermath from x-men legacy the 500th being the psylocke miniseries 600th being x-men versus the brood 700th being time store 20 700 700th being Time Storm 2009-2099 X-Men. 800th being Witchblade Wolverine. That's the time Witchblade and Wolverine get married that Chris Claremont wrote. <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, 810 is the worst X-Men comic of all time. 2099 World of Tomorrow, a comic that they are too scared to print. In the X-Men 2099 omnibus, I like to feel like we had something to do with scaring them into that saying, you guys can print X nation 2099, but don't you dare print 2099 world tomorrow again. I thought you would appreciate that. I mean, I realized there's Thank only for sharing that there's only so many pages you can pack into an omnibus. And if you're packing the entire X-Men 2099 and all of the extras in there, plus X nation at the end, I get it. Why you can't fit like, what is it? Six oversized issues of utter it's trash. Oversized issues. Yeah, I get why you didn't put that at the end, but it is still really funny that they did put X Nation in there and then stop. <laughs> they should put it. They should put it in an oversized hardcover. Have it put <laughs> out both with a slip put case. Out, <laughs> put out all of the omnibus omnibuy of twenty ninety nine. Give us our yeah. ravage. Give us our doom. Give us all the all the omnibuy, and then say, and here's the deluxe oversized hardcover 2099 world of tomorrow so that you can wrap up that or you can make it a 2099 the you know never the end where you have word of tomorrow and then you have every other 2099 thing to happen afterwards sounds great sounds great i would um, i think it's great yeah so also great are the stories that become that uh come before and after uncanny 171 at 10 on our list is 169 to 170 which is Storm uh, and Callisto's duel. And right underneath that at 11 is the issues that come after this, 172 to 173, Wolverine's Not wedding. as good. Not now, as good. This is nowhere this, this near. This story I is think. not as good. No. Um, I'm Where's not Professor even... Xavier is a jerk? Because this is worse than that. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, That's 168. Yeah. We've got it. Do we not have 168 on here? Um, hold on. I can check. Honestly, I I wouldn't be that shocked if we did it. Broodsock is at 32. This isn't that yeah. good either. I think this is definitely a top 200 story just in terms of, yeah. its, you know, it's classic status. But hold on. Checking if 168 is on. I, it's not, bud. It's not. We've never we have not done that one. I'm checking. Hey, just that comic. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm working my way up from 200. I think this is. I've got I've got one that will I think draw a line in the sand for you. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. This is probably better than Ladies Night, right? Um. Yeah. I think so. Mm, is it? Yeah. Is it, it is. Night? Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. Well, that's at 134, but I don't think it's as good as a Mojo Mayhem at 126. Then let's put it. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Let's put it below Marvel Team Up 150 and above X-Men Second Coming. Oh, that's a good place for it. All right. So this is going to be our new 128. And, you know, Walt, if you're listening, uh, Walt Simonson, don't don't be offended. You know, like you, hey, you, you Walt Simonson. You're you're a genius. We love you. But, um, you know, well, you were, I was thinking about your Thor earlier today and nothing important. Just be like, man, that Walt Simonson's Thor runs real good. <laughs> Entirety of my thoughts. Yeah. Um, I read I read the first that Beta Ray Bill arc with my son and oh, he was yeah. enthralled. He decided to that Beta Ray Bill has to say every time my name is they call me Bill Beta Ray Bill. <laughs> we then read the Daniel Warren Johnson Beta Ray Bill series. Oh, that's like wrestling. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, all right. So we're going to make actually a pretty drastic time jump here. Um, we're going from classic Claremont and Simonson from the Ashes era to Carrie and Chris Bachala. Bachalo. Um, this is Red Data X Men 197 to 199. This is collected in the Supernovas trade, the big yes. oversized Supernovas things they got, which is great. Mm-hmm. Carrie Bachelot, uh, it is a direct follow up to the arc before that primary infection where Rogue gets infected with a virus. Yes. She's not doing good. So they take they take Rogue to the doctors on Cable's Utopia island that he has providence um adam do you always forget about providence because i always forget about Providence. i completely forgot about it i think the let god has it really been since burnt offering that we have talked about providence like it's been a while right yeah that's probably right yeah providence providence oddly it's just it's around for cable and deadpool and nisieza never uh gives it the space it needs yeah be what it is i i was surprised because i didn't remember that it was like this expansive of a society and like this is talking like it's epcot you know like there's this is like a utopian futuristic thing um it's pretty fun it's pretty fun i also do love that um the x-men at this point are you know is this the children of the vaults battleship that they're floating around in Oh, the Conquistador? Yeah, they yeah, stole that at yeah. the end of Supernovas. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of fun. It's that good. It's that good page with Rogue putting on her hood and her insane team of X Men getting onto the ship, and she's like, "We're gonna do things our way, sugar." <laughs> so let's remind people what this team is. Can we remind them what this team is? Because if you guys haven't read, lineup. if you haven't thought about Supernovas in a while. Remember mm-hmm. this lineup. It's Cable. Yep. It's Rogue. It's yep. Iceman. It's mm-hmm. Cannonball. These are yep. all normal X-Men characters. Let's get Hold crazy, up. man. Let's get crazy. The Omega Sentinel's here. Sabertooth's sure here. Mystique's here. Lady Mastermind is here. Oh, that's not Emma Frost? I kid. I kid. Chris. Listen. Chris, you like that outfit a little too much. <laughs> As some podcasts would describe it. The Chris Pashalo top is one of the most important pieces of fashion in X-Men history. Sure. 
uh, gravity defying. Um, but... Insane that Emma and Lady Mastermind were in Bendis's all new at the same time wearing the exact same outfit, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is pretty wild. Um, so we have this car- this group. They're bringing everybody back. Sabretooth is imprisoned on the ship because they think he's a terrible person. Um, it's not working so well. Now, hold, on, Mas- hold on. They don't think he's a terrible person. He's Sabretooth. That's oh, why they is. have him imprisoned. He is, but he was like on the team for the, the previous issues, but like they don't don't trust him. So they got him like bottled up, you know? So um, I would like to, I'd like to posit that they never really trusted Sabretooth, but let's go on. Yeah. So um, somehow, and this is a little unclear to me, Lady Mastermind in a psych session with therapist unwittingly unleashes a mumu dry yeah <laughs> you you're talking about like cassandra nova a mumu dry you're talking about f teal arisen sure sure um he's he's a shiar mumu dry uh yes and we think that the mumu dry is the villain of this arc um because you know he's jumping from from X Man to X Man. However, also because he's a Mumadry, which are the anti self, the shadow self, the all that is wicked and evil in a person. And the yes. only other one we've seen is Cassandra Nova, and she's bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've been warned by the Shi'ar that these these uh, Mumadry are not to be messed with. However, Hecatome, Hecatome. How do you say Hecatome? Hecatome. It's got to be. It's got to be Tomb. Listen, Hecatomb is our real villain here. And that's actually why the Mumudrai is here is to warn us about the Hecatomb, which is going to come and basically like eat our entire world. Um, It is an out of control weapon that was designed to, I don't know, eat worlds. Um, It it absorbs life energy. Yeah, it's insane. It's uh, really let's... insane. It's a disco ball that has like a ghost xenomorph around it. It's psychotic looking. There's a couple of things about the art in this that are insane. Love Chris Bichalo. I do not. I know what he's trying to do with the Moma Dry stuff and Hecatomb and I think it's a little too abstract for what he's an tr- alien for what he's trying to do here. I okay, I'm going to Mm. I disagree. The other thing. Yeah, go ahead. Let me do my other one and then we'll jump right back to it. The other thing is, man, it's always a good time when people use some of the lossiest JPEGs in the world for backgrounds instead (laughs) of just coloring it blue. Yes. Yes. Um, Insane that it happens. Go back to go back to the other digital stuff that's happening. Let's go back to the art for a second. Okay. Um, this story is a mess and I Insane. don't, I don't necessarily think that it's actually coherent very much and or well-written. However, I do not care because this art kicks, but it is so cool. The Muma dry is represented by these like scratchy, scrawly lines, right? But they don't have contour lines. They're all just colored blue. So they're overlays over the, over the, you know, black and white outlines of the characters. And then like, not only is this ghost like Hecatomb thing sort of like fading in and out in its opacity, but it also is filled with like the ghosts of everything it ever ate. So there's pages of like these walls of dead zombie people coming at, at the character. It's so cool. It's just 
Chris is really having fun with the opacity levels of his layers right now. He's like, uh, and 75% and 25% <laughs> and like, let's just go. We are all middle sliders right now. It is awesome. And I don't even care that like, I don't know what red data is. I don't I have know no idea what red data is. I don't really know what's wrong with Rogue. I just know that she's that was from the last arc. She's 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 sick. Yeah, I've read that. I just like they don't explain what's wrong with her, but she like well because and, because you could have just read the three comics that came directly before it. Yeah, and I've I've read those. I just like you know we don't really anyway. She comes in and she solves the situation because uh, she can absorb all of the. Um, the ghosts that are in the hecatomb so that they can destroy the disco ball. Right. And that's when rogue has a billion people inside of her brain. Yes. Yes. Which you would think might drive her insane. Um, this also features a very, um, I can't get behind mystique and ice man. Like, what is that about? That's weird. Listen, of all the things in supernovas that I love, that's the one where I'm like, because, Mike, you're being very explicit in this, like shockingly explicit for 2007 about how Mystique went crazy when the person she loved most in the world, Destiny, died. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you doing, though? With Yeah, it's it's weird. It's take, weird. It just take, take the retcon of Iceman being gay out of this for a second. It does. He's trying something and he's failing really hard. Yeah. at it with yeah, this yeah. particular relationship yep i agree what does work what does work is omega sentinel and cannonball absolutely yes. wrecking things yep they cannonball, rule. Is, cannonball is awesome <laughs> lady mastermind is so much fun mm -hmm. reagan is easily the superior lady mastermind yeah uh, she's a lot Gable's of fun. fun i like i like a lot of the energy in this book even if this arc it struggles to have a plot it's that works. over yeah it's like oddly overcomplicated and also like undercooked so you know um i i am look i am enjoying this for the visual feast that these three hey, issues are Adam, like do you think it's wild that this comic has overlap and like is kind of a non crossover with uh, Cable and Deadpool. Yes, there are other um, issues in now. Red Data is just one, two, three, but there are other issues that um, are Cable and Deadpool that apparently involve this. Yeah, this it's red. what what else is happening on the island with the Mova Dry and Sabretooth and all of that. Yeah, we didn't it's, read that though. We didn't. It's breaking up Cable and Deadpool. The arc is called Fractured. Uh, which has to happen because Cable has to uh, die, mm. die the way Cable always dies. Yeah, yeah, folks. Cable, Cable's the least dead character to ever exist. <laughs> Never have to worry about Cable actually being dead. A new one will come by in a couple minutes, right? So yeah, I I enjoyed this quite a bit, um, but I I can't praise the writing of it. As much as I'm just like, I'm in it for what Chris is doing here. He's like, he is on fire. You know, every single page is just an absolute and energetic. I, I don't know. There's just a lot going on. He's, he's killing it here. So how do you feel about it compared to the 2007 X-Men annual? Uh, that is from this run. It's the Mark Brooks one Exodus trying to prove that there are still mutants out there. And what number do we have that at? 324. Oh, I think this is higher than that. 
I think this is higher than that. Uh, Supernovas is at 20. It's not that good. <laughs> oh, no, no. No, it's not that high. Um, is this... This is tough because this... I love the art. I love it. But, like, the story is just kind of like, what? <laughs> what is this? This is just stuff. I don't think this is better than Dead Man Logan at 289. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. That's a better story. And listen, the the art in Dead Man Logan is nothing to complain about. No, it's pretty dang good. I also think that Fatal Attractions for its flaws is, you know, has the the higher highs. Um, as an artist showcase, I would also put Hearts of Darkness above this at 297. I'd rather read Man and Wolf. That's Cap Wolf. I'd rather read Cap Wolf. Uh, okay. This is better than 299 right now, which is uh, the Fear Itself stuff from Uncanny X-Men, because that has bad art. I, I agree 100%. Uh, so this is going to be our new 299 uh, X-Men 197 to 199 red data. If you are a Chris uh, Bachelo fan, you got to check these issues out. They're killer. You know, and, I've been playing cards with my son uh, yeah. and I bought an X-Men deck somewhere and it's mostly Chris Bachelo art. Oh, I have that same exact deck. I'm I'm almost positive. Um, yeah, does, it have, does it have two decks of cards in it? No, I only have it's only one deck of cards. Uh, OK. But it has heavily Bendis era art mm-hmm. from Chris Bachelow and Stuart Abernan. Yep. A little bit of Girahiru, a little bit of uh, who there's like one or two Frank Quietly pieces in there. Uh, and there's someone else, but it's a lot of Bachelow. Yeah, yeah. The one I have is almost exclusively Chris and um, Stuart. So um, that that's a fun one. OK, so we've got one story left and it is by far that was a weird story, but this is by far the weirdest one we're going to talk about. And it again is by our friend, uh, Mr. Chris Claremont. What is this? This is Chris, this is Chris Claremont and Igor Cordy. It's extreme X-Men 31 to 36 intifada. Oh, uh, there's two parallel stories happening here. Uh-huh. Let's take them in stride. Adam. Hi. Let me have this. Okay. The first story, possibly the most insane one. Storm and Gambit are hanging out and spying on all of the leaders of the world, including and explicitly George W. Bush, to figure out if they're going to genocide all the mutants or not. Yeah, and it's not just George. Uh, We've got very explicitly drawn Colin Colin Powell, Dick Cheney. Uh, don't think Rumsfeld is in the mix there, but I, I'm not sure. This is September, 2003. So mm-hmm. if you imagine the production timelines on comics, Chris wrote this immediately after he figured out about the invasion of Af- or Iraq. Yeah. Department of Homeland Security is name dropped in this arc. So yes, absolutely. Yeah, but, but Homeland Security was end of 2001, beginning of mm-hmm. 2002 timeframe. The invasion wasn't until spring of 03 because they had weapons of mass destruction. Remember the right. weapons that didn't exist ah, that yes. we never found oh, and that, I remember. that Saddam Hussein explicitly said, you idiots. If I would have had weapons of mass destruction, I would have used them. Ah, <laughs> uh, Oh boy. You were saying storm and gambit are checking out this. Uh, they do run into Val Cooper, uh, Colonel Vajin, uh, a bunch of other people. And they eventually they essentially become like mutant cops by the end of this. Like that's the deal that gets cut so that a genocide doesn't happen is that Storm says that she's not with Xavier right now. So her her and her X-Men will police their own. 
which is kind of funny considering the next arc and what storm actually does is go and join like you know the arena and we saw how well that fared on this friggin' love that chris claremont has no one telling him not to in this <laughs> is it good not always is no. it fun yes Can the be. other side of this the other side of this is in the la suburb that uh rogue and gambit have been living in rogue being an auto mechanic going by anna raven with tattoos because her powers don't work right now there was a domestic terror attack a human tried to kill a bunch of mutants and first it's let's stop this and then rogue is trying to understand this murderous bigot and figure out what happened and it turns out what happened and this is in my mind like i did not put together the continuity pieces, especially the timing on this. But this is Claremont doing the same themes as Riot at Xavier's at the same time, uh, explicitly calling it out, but saying, look, these are the X-Men's generation fought for their place. And now there's a mutant society. So there's another generation that hasn't had to deal with any of that stuff. And maybe they don't understand what people had to deal with to like get where they are now. And it's a very interesting push and pull through a very 2003 Chris Claremont lens. That is the most gracious reading you could have given this book, which is called the Intifada, which if listeners don't understand what the Intifada is, it is the word that is typically used for the Palestinian uprising against Israeli occupation of the West Bank and Gaza Strip starting in 1987. So that it's is a an real, insane title for this. Really insane selection, Mr. Claremont, to call your story that is about gentrification of a neighborhood of humans into a mutant neighborhood. Oh my God. All right. So starting okay, with that. Hold on, hold on, no, hold thank on, you. hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to jump in here real quick and just say Chris Claremont has been on record to say he does not think that that was a good thing and does not support that. And like, he knows what he's doing here though. Like, Oh, I'm sure Chris Claremont knows what he's doing. I'm not, I'm not convinced it's a good idea what he is doing. Um, it's 2000, early 2000s, Chris Claremont. No one's convinced it's a good idea, <laughs> but I do yeah. think it's interesting. So I'm you're, fascinated. You're not wrong. Um, we're actually getting visual clips. We're getting Frank Quitely images inside of Iger Cordy images of a slideshow from Val Cooper. Now let's just address the Igor Cordy thing for a second before we actually get into how bad this story is. Okay. Um, we give Iger Cordy a lot of crap for the fill in. Well, it's not really fill ins, you know, for his issues in new X-Men because, because he was so pressed for time. And we know this two weeks, baby, two weeks. He, he had very, very little time to generate the issues and get them to the printer. So I'm hopeful. And I think by the quality of the artwork we're seeing here that he did have more time to generate the artwork for these issues. I think Cordy looks honestly, I think Cordy looks great in this. I was actually flipping through some of his like soldier X and cable stuff. Okay. From a couple of years before this recently, Cordy yeah. looks awesome. I'm going to disagree with you. I think this art is ugly. Okay. I don't yes. like it at all. And disagree I there. Don't think it serves the story at all. I think it's ugly in the same way that I think Frank Quietly art is ugly. No, there is a lack of. <sighs> 
I don't know how I want to, I don't know how far I really want to go down the rabbit hole on this. Let me just, I'm just going to stop and start, stop with subjective and just say, I don't think this is my cup of tea. Okay. I think that's fair. I think that's yeah. fair. I, I, I hear you and I understand you and I disagree on the art here. I think Corey's okay. actually doing some cool stuff. Yeah. I no. this, this, anyway, this is ugly and not in a quietly potato head way, um, but also definitely in a bit of a quietly potato head way. These are potato people. Yeah, but those potato people look beautiful at the same time as they're like lumpy potato people. You know what I mean? Like there's a no. All right. I don't want to get into this. Let let's let's jump over to the we're going to do a Cordy marathon at some. I'm going to set that up for one of my next Zach picks. Only yeah. Igor Cordy. And then we're going to um, get into it. I. I was thrown off by two things um, in this arc that, that just like just completely threw me out of the story. Okay. Uh, the first is the, obviously Chris Claremont is a very fetish forward horny man, but we have characters that would never kiss smooching in some really weird ways. So for example, we know that rogue and Gambit are a couple that's established at the beginning of the first issue. And yet when Rogue sees some of her fellow X-Men, she not only kisses Bishop, which is weird, she jumps on him and straddles him like he she was on the Bachelorette or the Bachelor and like latches onto him like he's a like she's a lamprey. Like it is the most ugh, it's just gross. Similarly, we know that Storm enjoys being nude. That's established for, you know, decades of continuity. However, she's bathing in the nude with Gambit and then decides that they also need to make out for some reason. Now, if I remember correctly, when Gambit met Storm, she was a child. This okay, is weird. Okay. okay, I hear you here. I'm going to I'm going to make two counterpoints because I knew this was going to come up. One, yes, Chris Claremont, very horny. We all agree. But I think for Rogue, one, she has a long history of like just kissing people normally to steal their powers but like that's a thing rogue does that's pretty heavily established that she'll kiss darn near anyone that's not a big deal to her so while i think some of the art's a little extreme though at the same time rogue is being able to actually touch other humans for the first time since she was like 12 years old so maybe she's overcompensating for some things i think there's i think part of that is the story here so i I hear what you're saying, and I I can see where the creative decisions come to have those things happen. The Storm thing, one, Gambit stopped knowing Storm as a kid pretty soon and then has just known her as a fully adult woman for a while. Uh, and two, you think that Gambit and Rogue don't uh, throw a couple of key parties every once in a while? You're out of your gourd. I don't know. It just seemed very, very strange in both circumstances. And it just seems like Claremont getting his rocks off. Um, the second thing that really just threw me out of the story is that you mentioned these young out of control punks that yes. are the reason that the, you know, the domestic terror incident happened in the first place was because they, they young, got her family killed because they were being irresponsible with their powers. Right. They were just joy. They were teenagers joy riding in, got into a drunk driving accident. Like, exactly. Except they it's, fly it's and they not, have spikes. It's not that. It's not that, but it's that. Right. So yeah, it's the equivalent. Um, we we have this scene in issue three where Sam and Rogue go to confront these kids and they they sound like boomers. They sound is, like old grandpas like 
chastising the youth for not being grateful for what their grandparents gave them. And it's just so out of character for both of them. It does not sound like Sam or Roe. It sounds like an old crotchety man. There is, I've been, I've been like chewing on this for a little bit because there is one read of it and it's the read you have. And I think it's an accurate read of this is Claremont doing a respectability politics you know, talking points. That's what this is. Like, it's, hey, we fought hard for this, so you need to respect this stuff. On the other hand, I also think it's Claremont doing something with mutants and saying, look, take the mutant metaphor stuff out of it and trying to put it one-to-one with anything. If there was a group of young people with insane powers and they're out of control, what does that mean? It's it's the part where, like, the fact that, hey, it is bad if someone can wake up and shoot laser beams out of their eyes uncontrollably. That's a issue. And you can, you can put any real-world marginalized group into that and muddle the thing, but there is a story to be told of, hey, it's bad if somebody wakes up and they can murder an entire town. Sure. Like without even meaning to. And, and or how that, do you irresponsibly use these abilities? Yeah. And those stories have been told time and time again, also by Claremont, way back all the way to God Loves Man Kills and probably even before that, right? Oh, hold on. You know? What did God Loves Man Kill? God Loves Man. What? No. What? I'm just what saying God Loves Man Kills is as. Like- Mutants as, you know, like a, a horrible threat to mankind. It's not particularly new. You know what I mean? I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's new, but I am saying that actually digging into that and what that means for mutants as a community is oh, new in this time. I, I I guess I think it can be interesting. I think it can be. I don't think it's very interesting here. There's no nuance to this story whatsoever. You know, the the punks are just punks. When our heroes show up. They're just these like crotchety one-liners about how we do it for real. And you well, know, you bow down to the, your, your older generation. And it's like, what, what is this? Like Chris Claremont, who we just oh, talked about. I can about, tell you what it is, buddy. Hold on. We just talked about uncanny 171, where we have the dream. You know, we have Xavier saying, Hey, we understand that you've been a threat to us, but we're going to take you under our wing and we're going to try to you know help you out here that's not the solution the solution is we're going to go out to the youth of america and we're going to beat them to a pulp and tell them that they're all like you know the idiots and i I just there's a tone to this book that i think just completely is in a different world from the claremont x-men that i am used to and that i like and every time i revisit extreme you know, we've talked about expose. We've talked about the arena. We've talked about destiny's diaries. I think at some point, um, I hate it. I hate this book. I think it's ugly. I think the stories are poorly written and I don't feel like these characters feel like the ones that we know and love. Well, I think there's one thing that you are, we have not talked about in the entire thing about this, which is why some of these characters from both sides, see, I'm going to be the enlightened centrist here. Both sides, Adam, are being flattened out. Yes. And do you know why? Uh, well, yes. Please. It's Elias Bogan, baby. It's the not shadow cake. Yes. He's been he's been trying to screw with his entire town for reasons. Do you 
Adam, can you explain Elias Bogan? Because we did we aren't doing the main Elias Bogan arc, but can you explain Elias Bogan and how he's different than the Shadow King? Because I can't. He's basically just like a rich guy who likes messing with people, isn't he? He was the first Lord Imperial of the New York Hellfire Club. Okay. He's just, I mean, he's, he's, just he's basically the Shadow King. He's, he's just, just not the, the Shadow King. King. Yeah. In uh, fact, whenever somebody does retcon Elias Bogan to just be part of the Shadow King. The stories will be better. Would make a lot more sense. And it also would go back to just Chris Claremont wants to write Shadow King stories. Chris Claremont right? just wants to write Shadow King stories. And he's the only one. Yeah. So um, where was Shadow King right now? Was he still stuck in Betsy's brain after Cywar? Oh, I don't know. Actually. Oh, no, no. Wait. Uh, No, because Psylocke dies. So Shadow King is in Extreme X-Men Annual 2001. Oh. Okay. Chris, why didn't you just write this as a Shadow King story? I don't know. I don't know. Pretty, pretty bomb. Also, Manacle, Manacle is in this. Uh, were you surprised to see Manacle in a comic like a week ago, Adam? Because I sure was. What was Manacle in? What did it? Uh, Marvel Voices X-Men. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I liked some of Voices. I thought there was some good stuff in there. I thought I thought what Al Ewing and Jay Edden wrote were fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. There's some fun stuff in there. Uh, I... I Zach, I hated this. Like, I agree with you. I agree with you that like it's the same thing with like the end, right? I know it's the same thing at the end. I'm thinking about the end this entire friggin' time waiting for the ranking. Like you can see Chris's galaxy brain like lighting up, and he's like, Homeland Security, uh gentrification of neighborhoods, uh, you know, I'm horny. Like all of his little like neurons are, are flashing in front of us, but it doesn't make for good storytelling. It's really bad. Adam, Adam, this week when when we were talking about new comics that came out and you were you were talking in the slack about how you're reading this Jean Grey book and you're very conf- you're a little confused by it. But there's a lot going on and you're pretty interested in it. What did I say? What was the only response I had? I said, let Wheezy cook. Yes. And I feel the exact same way right now because I don't know if this is good or bad. It's probably bad, but I'm fascinated and I want to let Chris cook right now. I love because I'm tired of boring stuff. I'm tired of boring comics. I am so done. Yeah, I would argue this this is pretty boring. Like (laughs) it, it. And here's why. Like the end is not boring just because it's like it's so completely bananas. Right. But this like it just feels so dated and it feels like, you know, it feels like your grandfather at Thanksgiving. Like it's not yes. fun and enjoyable or entertaining. And I want nothing to do with it. I don't so know if, how there's we're a comic gonna like, with, with manacle in it that you're saying, Oh, this isn't fun. <laughs> That's the definition. Okay. Yes. I mean, we've got a lot of comics on our list without manacle in them, Zach. (laughs) Folks, if you know, if you know anything about manacle, it's that he's a oversized BDSM guy covered in chains who has the ability to do BDSM to you. Yeah. With like barbed wire. It's really creepy. Um, Again, it's wild. Fetish forward. Chris Claremont. Uh, Let's rank this because this sucks. Where's X-Men the end? Book. Saying as good as any any of X-Men the end. That's Adam, that's not true. We think this is better than any of X-Men the end? Yes. I think this is better than 
X-Men The End, Dreamers and Demons. Which one is that? The first or the second one? That's the first one. I think it might. I think it's on par with the second one. I don't think okay. it hits the heights of the third one. No, I wouldn't. Uh, All right. So it's it's definitely worse than the third one. Where is the second one on the list? The second one's at 676. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the beauty of talking about early 2000s Chris Claire about the comics is Adam gets mad and I'm defending them. But then when we get down to ranking, I'm like, yeah, but yeah, it is still like not that great. Yeah, it's it's bad. It's but bad. I like it. Um, Better or worse than Poptopia? Ooh, that is an important question because Poptopia has a lot of a lot of the same feelings around it. Yeah, it's also garbage. Um, that's uh, this is better. Basic. This is better because I don't think the B plot in Poptopia with uh, the cleaner who mm. is going to be appearing in Steve Orlando's Iceman again, folks said it before and said it again. Me and Steve. We are on the same wavelength of what weird <laughs> X-Men stuff we remember. I do. Because when I, when I read that the cleaner was there, some people thought it was Kenny Omega's uh, alternate persona. And I thought, oh, no, that's the guy from Poptopia. Duh, <laughs> you fools. I don't think this is as good as Wolverine Bad Rock at 650. This is better than the Iceman icons. All right. So that makes it our new 651 Extreme X-Men Infitata. Oh, Chris. Man, what let is Chris Claremont you? cook. Listen, he can cook. I just don't want to eat. Did you read? Did you read his latest Extreme X Men series? No. Adam. Adam Rack. That's my name. Co-host. Buck. Buck Wild. Did you at least see the new outfit he gave? Gave or well, Salvador Larocca gave Storm. Listen, you you just said everything I need to know not to read that book. It's Extreme X Men. Larocca is drawing it, and I'm out. You want to know? You want to know who the who the lead antagonist is? Guessing it's the shadow. It's not. Is it Elias Bogan? Is it Ptolemy no, Rogue? No, but you're so close. It's Ogun. Oh, God, please. Who might as well be most of those characters. Right? Yeah. Okay. Ah, <laughs> oh, deep breath, deep breath. That was a fun one. There's some weird stuff going had, on in this episode. I had a great time. Me too, man. I love doing uh, that. Want to thank Snicked and Thwips. Uh, if you want to be like Snicked and Thwips, there is a Patreon that you can go to yeah help us out get an episode adam get sucked. adam what do you got going on uh well i mentioned Jean gray earlier and my my lovely anna papard and i we reviewed Jean gray number one which we both really liked so go check that out over on comicsxf.com we've got what else i don't know i think that's allergies do you have allergies because i have allergies that's what i've got going on. i i feel like i've always got them a little bit but no, I, I only get them right now. Yeah. But anyway, uh, follow, um, over on blue sky, Adam wreck, uh, Adam dot on Instagram and whatever the heck Twitter is now, Arthur Stacy for, you know, previews of what's coming up next week and all that fun stuff. Zach, don't ever try and find Zach. Don't find me. It's not fun. I don't no. enjoy it. You don't enjoy it. We weren't going to have a good time with it. No. I, and, and what are we talking about next week, Zach? Well, we're going to continue our attitude era. Can I get a hell yeah? Hell yeah. Uh, by talking about Amanda Sefton. <gasps> oh, we're going to do a little day tripping. Day tripping. Yeah. Till then, folks, this has been Bally Adam. We hope you survive the experience. Get it!